Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Kiera Ganan. She is the Chief Commercial Officer at Bull Threads and has been the VP of Upney Channel at Levi Strauss Company and the VP of Sales and Merchandising at Ralph Lauren. How are you doing today, Kiera? Great. Thank you. Happy uh, that it's almost summer. <laughs> I know, right? Well, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't know. I guess if you have kids or whatnot, then you have more things to do now, right? Because you can't that's leave right. it somewhere. <laughs> but if you don't, then yeah, it's it's a good time. You doing anything fun for the summer? Any vacationing or traveling? Yeah, just managing the kids uh, to okay. that point. <laughs> <laughs> Taking care of the second job. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about, about you, you know, how, how you came around. You've been in retail for, for many, many years. You have a lot of experience uh, in Upney Channel, but how did it all start for you? And what kind of, in retail, there are so many different channels, right? Or sectors that you can go into as an employee, yeah. right? Or as an entrepreneur. And what kind of drove you to your decisions to, to go to the route that you went? Well, I think, um, I, I think that you have to start with passion. First of all, um, about 25 years ago, I decided I wanted to get involved in this side of the business. Um, and ultimately ended up leading sales and merchandising teams for large global brands. And I think the reason why I gravitated towards the large part of it was to make sure I had impact with consumer. Um, I began my career in the contemporary space uh, helping to build out strong wholesale businesses with brands like BCBG, Max Azria, French Connection, James Purse. This was all around the time where this was becoming a very hot space, contemporary. Um, uh-huh. I took that experience um, to Ralph Lauren to help them relaunch RLX in the contemporary space. And for those really dedicated Ralph Lauren fans, they may remember RLX um, Ski from, you know, the 80s and 90s. And we looked at relaunching this in Contemporary. But while I was at Ralph Lauren, I also had this cool opportunity to launch or relaunch brands, I would say, um, under the Ralph Lauren umbrella, Uh such as Polo Sport, Polo Women's, Denim and Supply, And having that power of the Ralph Lauren machine behind me while we were launching these new brands was just a really incredible opportunity. Um, So I think my experience allowed me to really understand sort of the complexities and synergies of both sales and merchandising. And that's really where I decided I wanted to kind of play those things off of each other. And it ensures profit growth and pricing and consumer trends, assortment planning, And probably my favorite thing that I get to do is lead strong teams. Um, I think that is a big part of working with big companies too, is, you know, really kind of bringing people up to do your job better um, and to connect with consumers better. Absolutely. So at the time I shifted to Levi Strauss, which was a really strategic move 
to really sharpen those merchandising skills and to support a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business as their head of merchandising for the Americas. Um, and everybody has a Levi story and Levi's at the time <laughs> from a category killer men's denim into really a full lifestyle brand with a focus on growing tops and accessories and women's specifically. And, um, and then I parlayed that into in getting involved in activewear as the SVP of global merchandising for a connected fitness company that owns several fitness properties like Nordic track and Proform. Um, and I don't know about you, but I was definitely living in activewear during the pandemic <laughs> um, and learned a lot. I know about it's so difficult to go back to this, right? It was yeah, so comfortable. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really hard. It is hard to like navigate now through the wardrobes, but I learned a lot there about consumer loyalty through subscription programs and the power of information through their fitness apps as I built a merge function and an apparel line for them mid pandemic. So that's a little bit of the background of like kind of what brought me to where I'm sitting today. Um, and I think you can see some of those synergies brings me to bolt threads. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's very important for all our listeners out there. Right? I, I like to ask this question because a lot of times I feel people start in a certain sector or in a certain department within the retail industry, and then they feel like, oh, I've already invested so much time maybe in sales or merchandising or planning allocation, whatever the case might be. And there's always, I think, opportunities because retail is so convoluted that you yeah. always end up working for another department or with another department at some point in your career, right? That's right. And, and I feel, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you find a passion there, you should follow it and not feel like pushed back because maybe you were already five years in allocation or seven years in allocation and you yeah. feel like you're throwing it away because you're not. Like you're very well explained on your career. You're just adding right yeah. to your overall knowledge. Yeah. And I think also you're typically with the same people. I mean, the one thing I've also learned is it's a very small industry at the end of the day. Um, mm. And you know, building your network on top of all those roles and opportunities, you know, it's really, it's pretty fun now that I've been doing it for so long. I'd go back to people I spent time with 20 years ago and, you know, they're now leading companies and making an even bigger impact on the markets. And, um, I just think that it's, it's really important to be able to see how you pile on top of and get smarter and smarter and smarter, like through the, through the, um, through the industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also because I think uh, no matter what company you end up going with or you transition to, there's a lot of uh, the same shifts or the same movements, right? I mean, yeah. you, they have, even though maybe different practices or, you know, they care about the fabric or they care about certain different things, mm -hmm. but the core foundation is the same everywhere yes. you go. You know, as long yeah. as you're selling goods, it's almost pretty <laughs> much the same thing. Replica. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about Bolt Threads. What, what yeah. do you guys do? What, what are your initiatives? What are you guys trying to accomplish in the market? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I, I'll go back to when I was at Levi's. Um, th that organization has a pretty strong platform of doing things better. Um, and so as part of the merchandising function, we really looked at ways to improve our sustainable efforts um, through product and explored changing out the back leather patch with alternative materials, such as mushroom leather. Um, oh, wow. So this is what event, this is what initially got me interested in bolt threads because what they were doing was creating biomaterials and the, the tagline is to make way better materials for a way better world. Um, 
Now at the time, the back leather patch shift to mushroom leather was just not feasible. It was way more expensive than genuine leather is <clears throat> because the, the material is not scaled. Um, so I had the opportunity last year to join Bolt Threads as the chief commercial officer and my role is overseeing sales and marketing. So bringing this incredible material to life is um, in the market is really the goal of the role, which allows me to engage with all types of brands and their innovation and design teams who believe in reducing their carbon footprint on the world. You know, mushroom leather is, um, is just an alternative. It's not necessarily a drop and replace for bovine leather, but like anything else, consumers today demand transparency and alternatives to make better decisions for themselves and for the future of the planet and, you know, their children. Um, so I would say that this experience, along with all of the experiences I've had, have given me the opportunity to really better understand consumers and how brands have to differentiate themselves in order to grab interest and loyalty. I mean, everybody from H&M to Chanel is interested in, in using alternative materials in their products. Um, and the goal is to effectively build value propositions to ensure success in what I would call a very crowded market. Um, particularly in North America. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, a is very crowded. It's like you said, even though it it, it, it seems like a very large industry because more and more brands end up coming or popping up, right? Yeah, yeah. Where they end up getting eaten up by other companies or becoming right. subdivisions, so forth and so on. But I think one of the things that makes it so crowded is so many outlets to reach the consumer now, right? Yes. Before it was much easier. There was one, two, three outlet stops. And now it's like a plethora of outlets, right? And, and they just keep popping up. It's like, I see another social media <laughs> The outlet that my cousin uses or something and I'm like oh my god not another one you know because it's just so much more work for the retail industry right because now you it have is, to understand yeah. how to impact that and yeah. so talking about brand loyalty mm. what, what do you recommend and what do you foresee is the best way for brands to use their products and in order to build that loyalty right because I think it, mm. it's probably the most difficult time to have loyalty nowadays than maybe yeah. 10 20 years ago uh, so for, for folks out there, what do you recommend that, that should be part of their strategy as they're trying to build that loyalty? Because I think yeah. things change so fast and so quickly there's a new option. That yeah. How do you make that consumer come back? Around? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, that's the ultimate objective. Give consumers a reason to engage and to stay engaged. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do here. So anyone can really make a, a shirt or a pair of jeans or a treadmill, but why do they choose yours? Um, is sort of the game and marketing. Yes, of course. It is also well documented though, that consumers across the market have prioritized experience and quality over value in many cases. Um, and that's not to say that a good sale or a value conscious product doesn't win. It does in many, many cases. Um, but it's short term. In order to build real lifetime value, you have to offer something different. You have to drive that, um, that lifetime value. And I think that means several things, depending, of course, on the brand. Um, it could include how the physical experience shows up or the product innovation itself drives to that value proposition. Um, when I think about the physical experience of shopping, for instance, you know, there is nothing like a well-staffed, a well-designed, innovative store. Um, when you take the actual time to walk into a physical store, you need to be moved and inspired. Otherwise, why are you going into a store? Right. We all, we all experience that. 
um, you'll want to go back and invest in pieces that remind you of that experience. Um, examples in my mind would be like the Apple store, of course, the Nike concept stores, you know, Sephora was an early adapter of in-store experience and continues to be sort of an interesting one in, in that landscape. The, I think about Amazon to go, I mean, super cool experience, you know, they're not selling anything innovative in there, but it's kind of a, an interesting way to shop. And you mentioned pop-ups and unexpected places to really drive conversation and to start to drive that loyalty. I was recently in Rockefeller Center and saw the Skims pop-up. Now, Skims has had, you know, kind of a moment in the in the media um, in the last three to five years. But I would say the line wrapped around this pop-up shop, it just makes you stand there and realize like how impactful that is. You know, nobody needs a Skims pop-up shop to, to know what that is. Um, but it's pretty cool that that they can do it. And I would say on top of the physical experience, a dynamic e-commerce app experience can make or break a consumer um, loyalty. And uh, e-commerce and app, they have to provide storytelling and navigation in a really simple way alongside the convenience. And if there isn't synergy with all of this and brick and mortar, you know, you fall apart. And I, I don't think that it's a memorable moment for the brand. So that's, that's kind of the physical, how do I drive brand loyalty? I think, I think of those things um, off the top of my head. But you know, what I do typically is around product um, and finished goods. And so product innovation is a, is a big part of what sets you apart. Um, you know, I, of course, my number one thought on this, and I come from a denim background, is a fit focus. So, but really, no matter the category, fit has to be right. And not enough brands, in my opinion, invest in this to ensure comfort, inclusion, and accuracy. Um, the worst thing in the world is to order something online, get it home, try it on, and it's completely wrong for you. Um, and so the, this is a really hard space, but the brands that put a lot of, of interest on it and investment behind it typically show up pretty well. Good American is an example of that, a good example of that. Um, their entire platform is about fit. Um, we invested a lot of that at Levi's as well. Another Product innovation that drives brand loyalty would be an innovative material. Circularity is really popular today. So what brands are driving circularity and how can that conversation continue to be important? Um, you can also talk about hero products that transcend trend. So, you know, I come from Ralph Lauren too, a polo shirt. Great example of product innovation that allows you to reflect a lifestyle that's aspirational. And um, people are expecting that from Ralph Lauren and they feel really good about it and they drive brand loyalty because they know that that one polo shirt is going to give them that moment. Um, it could be the 501 gene or the Birkin bag. You have like, you know, lots of these examples out there. Uh -huh. Probably the one that I think about the most that I love talking about is authentic category expansion. So if you want to, if you want to build Urban Outfitters, if you want to build brand loyalty, Urban Outfitters is a lifestyle that they've kind of created, not necessarily a single product. Um, and so there is um, there is an authentic approach to them touching many categories that their consumer plays with. And this is what keeps the, the consumer coming back because they think that you know them. Um, you bring them into your lifestyle and it's really easy to understand those opportunities. The worst thing is when a brand 
just expands into things just because they have a yeah, brand. Many random different paths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that typically doesn't drive the loyalty. It drives the short-term revenue. Absolutely. So those are just a few ideas, but at the end of the day, I think you have to keep evolving with consumer expectations. That's really the goal here um, to keep them engaged and be true to your brand. And that drives loyalty, I think. Absolutely. And what do you think about like regionalized uh, efforts, yeah. right? Because I see a lot of companies are starting to really break down like their brand presence, right? So yeah. in other words, they really try to everywhere they have a brick and mortar, they have a pop up where they think it's worth because of the target audience and whatever their mission statement yeah. is, right? Uh, and they really want to engage almost like a regional, almost like a very community level, right? And I think a lot of brands are doing that. A lot of brands are not. From your perspective, where do you think is the right investment, right? Because I think it's something that's always been an opportunity to do. Yeah. But do you think it's counter-effective because, hey, you have all the social media, so you're reaching out to everybody? Or do you really think it's making a change and an impact mm-hmm. in saying, hey, I'm, I want as a brand, I'm investing in your community, not just in my overall yeah. market or in my overall audience? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say segmentation and customization is is a strategic approach to, to staying authentic to your customer. Um, I think that it is true that roughly 80% of your assortment should speak to that consumer base across all markets and regions. Um, you've, you've now built the brand to speak to this specific consumer and there's an assumption that it lives where you are marketing, but it's that remaining 20% that can really be customized to truly dial up loyalty and awareness that you as the brand understand their needs. And I've seen companies do this to the point of not getting any return. (laughs) So (laughs) really understanding which categories that need that little something extra is kind of key. So the question is, how do you execute against this? You really need opportunity to have the consumer voice in your ear. So I've been able to both visit markets and then also have teams in place on the ground to share with me what's going on. But I do found I do find that my own personal quarterly visits to all these regions make all the difference in the world. Um, there's the obvious weather-related needs that create that regional and um, segmentation and customization. But I found nuances to actually be more impactful than even that. And when I when I say nuances, let me give you some examples. Uh, cultural differences. Uh, I mean, like an example would be the color purple in Brazil represents death and mourning. So don't put a t-shirt in like a fun assortment plan. That's purple. If it's going to be in <laughs> Sao Paulo, you know, there's like, that's an obvious like shift, but something that you kind of need to know what's going on in that culture to understand that that doesn't work. Um, we've talked about fit or I've talked about fit a little bit, fit differences, largely trend gets maximized on the coasts of, of this country. When we went wide leg at Levi's, we made sure to dial that up in New York and LA before we populated the stores in Chicago and Dallas with a heavy rotation of non skinny jeans. Mm -hmm. Um, so that to me is the segmentation, um, to really drive some of that, those regional needs, a gender split. You know, how you build a gender split assortment, particularly in D2C, is important. Being able to read selling results and having that that historical view on performance by gender can really help drive the share of assortment, which will be another nuance. 
Um, and I would say, you know, the most fun for sure is truly customized product to that area where the consumer consumer is living. So this takes an investment. Sometimes personalization is a way that this has gotten dialed up, or it can mean a regionally specific item like a t-shirt with a New York graphic or a collaboration with a local designer. These are absolutely the most fun to brainstorm, but the hardest to execute, assuming that you have less volume attached to them. So you're not making money on these products. You know, you're, you're doing it so that you have a halo effort so that your local consumer understands that you are paying attention to what they care about. I would say regardless of the approach, showing an interest in the consumer through product assortment is definitely paramount to driving loyalty and interest in the brand. Has to be there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And out of all the things you said, I really liked, you know, when you were talking about like boots on the ground and physical presence of yourself and the communication, because I feel so many different companies I've, I've worked for in the past, uh, and especially nowadays, I feel like a lot of companies are just putting employees to kind of have the doors open, the brick and mortar. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of communication with home office yeah. and the actual brick and mortar store, right? I mean, okay. the employees are almost doing you a favor to attend you as a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of experiences, unfortunately, and I've seen this more than ever before in the past. Yeah. Um, but I think part of that is because there's a huge disconnect between leadership and the employees, right? And so- Yes, there typically is, yes. And it costs a lot of money to do this. I mean, this is why it gets redu reduced. I mean, we're talking about multiple flights. You know, it's funny, the conversation right now still continues to be remote or in person. Right. Mm -hmm. This is like the, the discussion. And I've often said to people, you know, me and my team, we should not be in the office five days a week. We should be out in stores or traveling or doing whatever. And that's not to say that we're working from home necessarily, but being in the office seems like a super archaic, unproductive approach to what we're talking about here. Now there's mm -hmm. other, of course, there's other roles that require that more, but um I agree. Yeah, with yeah. like if you're, if you're more in accounting or something like that, then, then it's yeah. fine, right? You, yeah, you don't different. really, you don't care about talking to the customers. It's exactly. not going to make a difference to the numbers, <laughs> you know? But but to your point, yeah, I think even like allocators and merchandisers yeah. and planners, anybody that's touching the product should know the experience from the store. That's right. right? And should spend some time there and every so often go work at the store, right? They don't have to be salespeople, but see the customer, see the consumer, yeah. because yeah. one mall can make all the difference in the type of consumer you're receiving. You Absolutely. Know? I agree. Yeah. So uh, one last question I would like to ask you is if you had one piece of advice for, for everybody out there that's trying to move forward in their career or for mm -hmm. entrepreneurs that are growing their business and, and they're trying to, to go bigger and stronger, right? Uh, what would be that one piece of advice? Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think I want to talk about this as it relates to the strength of, of authenticity and strength of a brand, whether it's like, as you're following your career, I'm trying to figure out what to do next or how, how you can attract consumer. Um, because I think what gets us all excited as both consumers and people within the industry is finding brands that stay true to their vision and image, right? Like those ones that just feel comfortable. Um, uh, not necessarily just from a logo perspective, but you think about Orvis, 
and you know that you're talking about, you know, an outdoor brand and the products that they're going to touch are definitely as it relates to outdoor or pet or that lifestyle. Um, the more consistent these brands are across all mediums, the more the brand resonates. And I think that that really means that connectivity between all the departments, design, marketing, strategy, sales, it all has to be present. Um, if one consumer facing entity highlights a different image or approach, or you're in charge of a department who does that, it really confuses the consumer and it weakens the effort. And I think in my experience, one of the hardest things to find is a cohesive and aligned leadership team who can really drive towards a single objective. Um, and so, you know, it's not that I'm saying people refuse to align, but more that, it's difficult to achieve a single vision while driving profit, impression, ski reduction, all those objectives that they have as a department. Um, and so I look for, I think what's really important is making sure that the people believe in the mission and putting the right people together to execute. Um, and unfortunately in the last, well, I, I think it's, a, I think it's cyclical, but HR, in-store experience, these are things that like get whacked like pretty quickly when things are rough. And you see the impact of that over the years. You know, it's like we lost our, you know, HR business partners three years ago. And now we have a team that's not totally aligned because we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. Um, and now the consumer doesn't understand what our vision is because we have put it in the market in a more fragmented way. Um, so I think making sure that you understand the importance of those little things that drive brand strength, it really feeds everything from how people work in your company to how people perceive your brand to ultimately your pricing power and market share in the market. Um, and that's the thing that I think is the most important. Find the red thread so that everything can connect. Yeah, no, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the synergy between departments is essential for the brand yeah. image, as you very well mentioned. And I think a lot of times people get so lost in the everyday tasks that yeah. the departments become siloed, right? Within Absolutely. their own selves, like yes. if they were their own little small company. Yes. And, and it's not the case. So working for the same vision together, it's pivotal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing, you know, uh, today with Absolutely. us here. I really had a great conversation with you and we appreciate it. And for everybody else out there listening, uh, you know, stick around. We'll have curious information. We'll publish it out there. So if you guys have questions, concern, I mean, she's definitely, you know, a very, very special mind to, to mm. reach out to. Carlos, thank like you. This. Thank you uh, so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. Thank you. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.